You're listening to a C3 Victory You hear podcast. me on that? It feels to better more, to be together. Third time. It feels better to be together. Right? Okay. So before I start my clock, I do this purposefully because I know they got one on me, but stop it. I got my own because Alabama will tell me when to stop. Right. And I know I've got extra time today because Pastor Nate preached slow, uh, short last week. I'm ringing. Got it. Better. Um, and so I, I get to add a bit more time on. So before I start my clock, hey, don't you just love coming together though? Yeah. Isn't it awesome to be together? The deal is I love the way Simo hosts Pastor Simo. I should be respectful. Pastor Simeon. He just makes you feel at home. He makes you feel like your brother's up there making you welcome. And he's got this language and this way of just pulling things in and explaining it in today's vernacular. I love that. Don't you? And uh, yeah, and I, I generally... Um, I do generally want to thank Pastor Nate for uh, giving me the privilege of preaching this one. Uh, it is a challenging message. There is no doubt about it because it is a daily challenge on the issue of forgiveness. Christianity is about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't even get into Christianity without an act of forgiveness. Think of the cross. Don't go quiet on me. <clears throat> So I want to ask you a question. Here we go. Start. Can, can you remember what it was like the first time it really dawned on you, the totality and the magnitude of forgiveness that God gave you? I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, it was just pray the prayer, go down the front, next week get baptized. It was all this dun, 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 dun. And other things don't dawn on you till a little bit later when you're contemplating and thinking about what was this all about? And I can remember the impact that Psalm 103 had on me as I read it and recognized the greatness and the completeness of God's forgiveness. So I'm going to read Psalm 103, verse 8, starting in the Nate translation version. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This word appears twice. In this little section we're reading, it's literally the Hebrew word hesed, which is God's covenant loyal love. You can't get a stronger love than that. Verse 9, he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward though, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. How far is that? It is immeasurable. He chose this infinite kind of thing that can't be measured and said, That's how far God has removed your sins from you. Now I don't know about you, but that was a defining moment for me early in my relationship with God. To all of a sudden realize, I'm not just going to heaven. I'm not just calling God Father. I'm not just now saying I'm a Christian. I'm actually totally, completely, utterly forgiven. For anything I've ever done, and I don't want to blow your theology out of the water, but here it is, and anything I will ever do. You, hang on a minute, you hadn't confessed it yet. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, I hadn't confessed anything. But he still died for it. Just saying, just saying. So as I said, I'm going to be personal with you today, not so much theological. Because we're talking about the making or the breaking of relationships. 
and we're trying to break down some myths of what it is to be happy in a relationship. Okay? Like this. Some people think to be happy, I will love you so long as you please me. Or, I will stay with you if you don't hurt me or offend me. In a marriage separation, they call that irreconcilable differences. Mmm, that goes quiet. So imagine what it'd be like if God had irreconcilable differences with us. What kind of relationship would we have, if any? Hmm. And I think the issue of forgiveness would have to be the most critical issue in creating a right relationship with God. Listen to me. This issue of forgiveness is so strong and so powerful that in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not, let the go, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, don't go to bed with unforgiveness on your heart. Because if you do, you give the devil a strategic place in your life. I can't think of any other thing more captivating of our soul than unforgiveness. Wow. I know you're going to challenge me theologically, but I told you I'm not getting there today. But here's the deal. Forgiveness isn't limited to our relationship with God. That's where it begins. As a matter of fact, I don't think... This is going to be bold. I don't think a person can genuinely, freely forgive without being forgiven by God. I mean, you can exercise trying to get over something. But how can you give grace when you don't know grace? Everything's a copy. It's a counterfeit. It's plastic or veneer at best until you get the real thing. Okay, so anyway. So let me get personal again if I can. There was another defining moment in the area of forgiveness early in my faith journey. It was, uh, it was September 1976. That seems like a, an age, a lifetime ago. Who was alive in 1976? Well, that's a good number. Jim, I know you were. But so was I. I was sitting on the steps at the back of my dorm at college, uh, having my devotions just before I'd go off to lectures. And, uh, and I was reading out of one of my favorite books, Ephesians, go figure. And I came across this verse, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I was only about a year and a half old as a Christian. And all of a sudden, as soon as I read that, bam, God spoke to me. And he said, so how are you going to preach forgiveness and love to others when you hate your father? I couldn't even keep reading my Bible. It just shocked me so bad. I literally shut the Bible, went back into my dorm, got a shower, and went off to lectures and the whole day thinking, what was that? You know, I'm a new Christian. What was that? that. But I knew that I had to exercise forgiveness and ask forgiveness. And I knew I had to do it that night. And I remember sitting down and writing my dad and his wife a letter. And first off, no accusing, no blaming, no anger, just simply saying, please forgive me for the hate I've had for you. You know, my dad never answered that letter. I remember, what, two or three years ago, I was back there, we're in a car, we're traveling, and I said to him, remember the letter I wrote to you in 1976? And I just got the, hmm? I said, did you read it? Hmm? I said, 
how come you never answered? And he said, couldn't. Didn't know how. And that opened up freedom like you could never imagine. But that was a defining day for me. And it dawned on me that first deliberate act of forgiveness that I had to undertake was the most difficult one I will ever undertake. One of the most significant persons in your life who has so deeply wounded, hurt, offended, abused in a way, you've got to forgive. And I thought, God, why was this first? I'm only a baby Christian. This is so hard, I can't do this. And then it became clear. Let's kill the giant first. Isn't it interesting? David killed the giant, not when he was a grown man, but a teenager. Knocking off the biggest one gives confidence to forgive any other offenses that I'm going to face. You too. And that first act of forgiving wasn't going to be the last one. As a matter of fact, this is the way of the Christian life. I don't like that. Because in the verse we just read, Paul's words are written in such a way that forgiveness is not a one-time act, but a lifestyle. He says, in the English it translates, not make sure you forgive, but forgiving one another. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. And so this thing enables me to learn to live with a forgiving heart, and I'm by no means saying to someone today, it's easy. You want the truth? It's like the preacher said, I'm not preaching now, I'm telling you the truth. Okay, you want the truth? Some of you got that. This is one of the toughest, if not the toughest part of the Christian life that I wrestle with. Okay? Some of you wrestle with other things. This one is kind of like Goliath to me. And I wrestle with this. God, how do I do this? We get hurt too. We're not calculated machines. We get hurt. And I find forgiving a daily battle, however a necessary one. But I need to remind myself every day when it comes up, hey, listen, you killed the giant. You can do this. Christ is strengthening you. You can do this. So let me put a couple of things forward that dispels any wrong expectations around the area of forgiveness. Because people get a little bit romantic, Christian romance, when they talk about forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness does not automatically create a relationship of trust. Don't confuse the two. Working on building relationship and deliberately choosing to forgive are not one and the same. One leads to the other, maybe, but they are not one and the same. Listen, don't think just because if I forgive that person, we got to become besties. No, you don't. There's a lot of people we forgive in life that we're never close friends with. That's okay. Like the policeman you just gave the Christian hand signals to the other day when he pulled you over. Anyway, number two, forgiveness doesn't mean the erasing of our memory. I can't forget this or join the rest of humanity. You don't, you don't immediately, if ever, forget what happened. You know, people go, yeah, but it says in Hebrews that God doesn't remember our sins anymore and we're to be like him. Listen, God can't forget He doesn't have memory lapse. He is omniscient. 
How can he forget when he knows everything? That's not what Hebrews is talking about. What it's saying is this. He chooses to not bring up our offenses and hold them against us anymore. That's what it means. So, the truth about forgiveness is that forgiveness must come from love. Period. And in the letter to the church at Colossae, this is the twin letter to the letter of Ephesians. They're kind of circular letters going back and forth, and they say some very similar things. And Paul says almost the exact same thing. But before he says that, he gives a list of virtues to the Christian life. He said, your life should be characterized like this. Compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, and patience. And then when you go to chapter 3, verse 13, he gives another virtue that says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. There it is again, just keep doing this. And if anyone has a complaint. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say if they wound you. He goes to the most simple thing. Somebody whinging, complaining. Forgive them. Even as Christ forgave you. Don't tell me you don't whinge at God. There's a lot of... Janet said this morning. She came to give me my health tablets. Thank you, Simon and Mill. Dropped it and it rolled. And Janet said, I'm going to ask God one day, when something hits the floor, why does it inevitably roll under something? There's a lot of things we want to ask God, right? I was watching one of the four rednecks the other day and he says, why is it, this is one of the things he wants to ask God, why is it that women always have more questions than men have answers? And he said, for instance, men are laughing, but women aren't, but it happened. Yeah, you're laughing. You did it to me. You do it to me every day, just about. He walked into his wife one day and said, Honey, I just got a text. Mark has been in an accident. We're asked to pray for him. And she said, Was he alone? I don't know. I just got a text. It says Mark was in an accident. We're asked to pray for him. Did he have insurance? I don't know. I just got a text. It says Mark was in an accident. Pray for him. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got a text. And he goes on like that. And she said, Well, what do you know? I know that Mark was in an accident. God, why? Anyway, I think they keep us fun and honest. Anyway, isn't it interesting, though, that above and beyond all these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, bearing with one another, even forgiving one another, Paul says this in verse 14. Over all these virtues, put on love. Truthfully, you can't do these things without love inside. Right? But here's the thing. Thanks, Simon. First and foremost, forgiveness is an issue of choice, not feeling. We've been fed a lie that love begins with emotion. I'm not saying our emotions aren't involved. Um, You know, some of you guys love contact sport. You love it so much that you get broken if you try to do it. But you still do it because you love it so much. And that's not emotion. But the issue is this. Forgiveness is an issue of choice, not feeling. Because when Paul uses the word love to describe this, he's using the exact same kind of love that God has for us. Agape love. The highest form of love. And you better know that with God, it was not an act of sentimentality, but an act of choice. Listen. God chooses to love and forgive us. No matter what he feels like. And you say, God doesn't have feelings. Oh, no. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Makes him sad. 
Don't get God angry. Makes him mad. Right? He does have emotion. Thank God it's pure. But he doesn't choose to forgive you and me by emotion. But by an act of his will. I will love them. I will forgive them. You know, and every day, make the choice to forgive. Regardless of what you feel. Make the choice. I find there are times when I have to exercise forgiveness often throughout the day. A memory, a thought, a confrontation, a reminder. And all of a sudden the emotion stirs up. What do I do at that moment? Do I give in to the emotion? Or do I make a choice to love? Because the deal is this. Forgiveness is not just an issue of choice. It's also an issue of cost. While God forgave us graciously and freely, make no mistake, there was a high price that was paid. Very high. It cost God his son's life in order for him to forgive our offenses. And he paid it freely. And can I say this? True forgiveness is going to cost us. How? Pride. Feelings. Anger. Desire for revenge, the right to still be a victim. You can't forgive and still be a victim. And remember, when you're going through these emotions, yeah, but, yeah, but, remember, forgive as God in Christ forgave you by choice. By choice. So, another truth about forgiveness is that forgiveness has got to be larger than offense. Sorry, with my. Accent, not a fence, but a fence. Sorry. You, you can pick up my accent, can't you? Because when I get back to Alabama, I'll just come home and say, y'all. Oh, y'all move front. How y'all doing today? Ah, that was good, y'all. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples about this, this so critical issue of forgiving someone who sins against you and how to go about that. We need to know this, that they're surrounded by a culture, as we are. They're surrounded by a culture that's, that's predominantly a power culture called the Roman culture. Yes, they're Jews, but they are still surrounded by this massive culture of power. Nothing speaks stronger to a Roman than power. Nothing violates that more than the weakness of forgiveness. Right? To forgive somebody? Pfft. Ah, I'm not going to do that. They don't deserve it. Shows weakness. They can just get over it. Build a bridge. And they're surrounded by this Roman culture that ruled the day that says, listen. It's weakness. Don't do that. And I wonder how much of the culture today encourages us towards forgiveness. Think about our culture. When I was growing up, there was a saying. Now, all you boomers will probably remember this. I hope you young ones kind of latch on. But I know it's not in the vernacular of Simeon, so he'll take it and modernize it. As he's so good at. And here was the saying. I don't get mad. I just get even. Any of you boomers remember that one? All right. Wasn't just Alabama. I want you to do something in the culture. Our culture is reflected in our music, our movies, um, in sport, in education, in all kinds of things. 
And just take a look at movies and TV programs and see how many are out there about getting revenge or self-made justice. Hmm? How many times do you hear in sport about getting revenge when you've been beaten? It's about revenge. I mean, it's in the culture, isn't it? It's just so imbibed in the culture. What about relationships? When someone has been wronged or cheated, they're often encouraged by friends and family to not forgive or don't give the person another chance. They don't deserve it. It's all throughout the culture, whether we like it or not. Don't let culture dominate our virtues. Especially in relationship. But the deal is this. The Jews were surrounded by that culture, but they had a culture of their own called religion. And in the culture of the day, in their religion, the rabbis would teach them, you only have to give, forgive three times. Three times. Elbow your husband and say, that's twice. <laughs> so the rabbis would say, right, three times and they're out. You don't have to anymore. I'd like to know what happens after that. Is it revenge? And so even in their religious culture, they had a cap on forgiving somebody. There's a limit. And so isn't it funny? You could, you could forgive three times and you can tick the religious box. Yep, done that. Don't have to do it again. Have you ever been driving down the road and a memory comes where somebody has offended you? And you go, yeah, I thought I forgot that. First, tell yourself, it's okay. I've got a good memory. I hadn't forgotten. <laughs> Secondly, don't tell yourself, I'm not forgiving again. I already did that. That memory has come up for a reason. And it could be one of two. Either the enemy's trying to trick you to say you haven't forgiven, or God's trying to say to you, just do it one more time. There's something in this. At that moment, what do you choose? Now, I did the religious thing. Before communion one Sunday, I went, sorry. <laughs> Every time we try to say to one of our grandkids to apologize to the other one for doing that, sorry. <laughs> do your kids and grandkids do that? It's never, oh, forgive me. I offended you so deeply when I took your lolly. You know, it's none of that. It's always, sorry. No, no. We don't, we don't live with that. No, no. No, no. You tell them why you're sorry. I'm sorry because... I wanted your lolly. No, no, not good enough. <laughs> Go over and give him a hug and give him a lolly. You can do the religious duty. Peter latched onto this. You know, there in Matthew 18, he latched on, and here's Peter. You know Peter, the large mouth bass fisherman. I'm going to show Jesus how religious I am. I know the teachers say three times, but he comes to Jesus in verse 21 and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? I'm going to more than double it and he'll think I'm awesome. <laughs> what Jesus does next blows every one of them out of the water. He supersedes not only culture of the day, but the religion of the day. And he says this, no, not seven times, but 70 times times seven. 490 times. I gotta forgive somebody. All right, I'm gonna keep count. <laughs> we'll get there and then I can let them have it because they are so offensive. And Jesus is not teaching that you should keep a record of how many times you forgive someone. 
Have you ever had to forgive your spouse more than once? Never in our house. I don't do anything wrong. (laughs) Not true, not true, not true. But we do have this vow, and we have lived it for 41 plus years. We will not go to bed angry. Many times, Jim. The couch is well worn. So, on both sides. Anyway. Okay, that's 489 times. One more time, you're finally going to get what you deserve. No. Just doing the right thing by religion will not keep the heart pure. That's why Jesus gives... He's not given a calculated figure. He's trying to blow their preconceived ideas out of the water. Listen... Here it is, guys. What Jesus is doing is showing the quality of forgiveness that's far greater than the sin that hurts us. Say it again. You see it up on the screen. What Jesus is doing is showing us the quality of forgiveness is far greater than the sin that hurts us. So it's got to supersede religion. Don't just do it at communion. Do it every time a reminder comes. But, but... What if they keep offending me? Forgiveness still has a profound effect. But, but what if I forgive them and they don't respond positively back? Forgiveness still has a profound effect. Period. In every relationship. So here's the last truth I want to give you today about forgiveness, even though there's many of them. Forgiveness must result in freedom. No forgiveness, no freedom. Freedom, forgiveness. It's interesting, in that parable in Matthew 18, the master who is owed a huge debt that could never be repaid in a lifetime, it says in verse 27, he freely released the the man who offended him and he forgave his debt. In other words, he wiped it off. And because of time, we we, we can't jump into this parable and unpack the rest of it. Uh, But the message is clear from what Jesus is telling his disciples here. Number one, unforgiveness results in bondage. I will say it again, unforgiveness results in bondage in any relationship. And secondly, forgiveness releases freedom. I got a plaque on my desk. This is what Janet is so good at. She reminds me continually if I go there. And she, she bought me the plaque and I thought, yeah, I hear you. But she wanted it in front of my eyes every time I sit at my desk. Forgiveness sets a soul free, your own. So if it doesn't have a profound effect on them, it will you. And first and foremost, I'm free by choosing to forgive. I get free from being a victim. I get free from bitterness taking root in my soul. I get free from anger. I just get free. And I have to do that regularly. And when you know you need to forgive someone, whether it be your marriage, whether it be at work, whether it be in your family, whether it be at church, let me give you a couple of guidelines. Number one, don't don't go to the place where you speak out I don't think I can ever. That's a big, big call because you've just stopped God from setting you free. I don't think I can ever forgive him, her, or them. You have just bound yourself to that vow. Secondly, confess that you can't do this in your own strength. God, I know I can't do this, but you can through me and in me. Isn't it interesting in in the correlating verses in Luke where Jesus said, forgive them abundantly, the disciples immediately retort back, Lord, increase our faith. 
That wasn't to move a mountain. That was to cleanse the heart. To be ready to forgive. Because they know how tough that is. The religion says only three, but God says every day if necessary. Anyway, number three. Ask God for His love and grace to fill your heart. That's the only way it can happen. Again, I'll say it boldly. I can't forgive if, unless I know His forgiveness and I can't love unless I'm filled with His love. Number four. As many times as necessary, even daily, exercise forgiveness. You know, when Jesus said, pray like this, give us today our daily bread. And then he goes on about, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. That's also daily, not just the bread. Bread might be food for the body, but forgiveness is food to the soul. That verse that struck me in my devotions back in 1976, Ephesians 4, 32. I want to read it to you in the message. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, don't delay. It could be costly. Very costly. I'm going to ask the guys up in the box, can you turn the recording off now? Because I want to talk about something personal and I don't want it going out on podcasts. Is that okay? Give me a thumbs up. Yes, thank you. See, while forgiveness has become a vital part of keeping relationships right, the heart clean, recently we had us in here today need to exercise forgiveness in the marriage. You can't keep hanging on to this. You go, yeah, I'll just, we'll separate irreconcilable differences. Separation does not do away with that. It just puts it in another box. And that box will come back and be opened occasionally. Some need to forgive someone from their past. I remember years ago at Fraser Parade. I'm going to cancel this because I don't want to be disrupted. We're at Fraser Parade and I got a word on a Sunday morning. One of those real tough words. There's a woman here who's not young. In your past, you had an abortion. You have tried to hide it all your life and you... You live under the shame and the guilt of that. Today, God is going to give you the ability, number one, to forgive yourself. Number two, to know his forgiveness. I, I didn't call that woman to the front because I didn't. I said, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you. I know this is sensitive. Just come and talk to me after the service. And sure enough, she was there. And she came. And she got freedom. Finally. Forgiveness sets us all free. There's something in your past that is defining you, that is controlling you. And I'm going to tell you, if this stuff sits, it's like poison. It it ekes out slowly, but it will destroy everything in your system. Other relationships. I, I don't know if you know this, but statistically, those of us that do weddings, celebrants, we get stats from the government and and we do get directions from the government and the government does say to us make sure you do good pre-marriage prep because close to 50% of marriages in Australia end in divorce but more second marriages end in divorce than first marriages why? irreconcilable differences they never get solved somebody something from your past even yourself today forgiveness needs to come into that area number three even in church where we're meant to be perfect got all our ducks in a row 
and we're never hurt or bothered or angry at anyone because we just float on clouds around the city. But there's somebody who's hurt us, offended us, wounded us. That's why Jesus said, if your brother offends you, you go and talk to him and you and you alone. Make it right. Because he knew this offenses will come, he said. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I've had these very clear three defining moments over the years, but I've had many days. I've still had to learn to forgive. Still do. I'm not perfect in this. I'm sure many of you are there with me. But I know this. You need a defining moment. I believe this is a defining moment for somebody here this morning. It's nice to talk about the nice things of relationship that make me happy. But nothing will make you more satisfied than having a clean heart towards someone. Regardless of who they are and what they've done. At least your heart is clean. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to turn on the light. He's so good at that. Theologically, it's called illumination. He works deep within our soul and he goes, yeah, it's time. What about that? And you know you need to forgive. I'm not even going to tell you how to do it because that's his business to coach you through that after. Or if you're not sure, you can talk to your mentor, your leader and ask for help. But I am going to ask the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, turn on your spotlight into our soul. Our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, our personality, everything about us. You're there. You're alive. You're not just willing. You're wanting to do this now. Because God, you have created us for relationship. And you have created us, God, to have the best relationships we can this side of heaven. So I know it's your will. I can say that with absolute assurance and faith. It is your will right now to help hearts get clean and free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So just reveal out of the darkness a bitter root, an offense that's not forgiven, a wound that's still sore and open. Anger that controls us because of that. Holy Spirit, do that right now. You do this so good, much better than I could. I don't even need prophetic words here. You speak personally to everyone. You're the comforter. You're the counselor. You're the guide. You're the teacher. Just invite you right now for this defining moment in relationships. Come and move. Every eye closed. Nobody looking. If the Holy Spirit is beginning to reveal something to you, and says, settle the account and quickly. By first off, forgiving. Just put your hand up. Now, by putting your hand up, all you're doing is you are saying, I need the Holy Spirit in this. I can't do this myself. I need your love and your grace and your power. I don't want to live with an unclean heart. I want the best out of relationships that you 
have called for me. Just put your hand up. Keep it up because I'm going to pray for you as you keep it up along with me. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Father, in Jesus' name, there's freedom in this moment. I know wounds go deep. I know bitterness is a, it's like you define it as a root that's, that's embedded. But I know your grace is more powerful than all of that. And I pray right now for a manifestation of your grace on hearts and minds and wills and personalities and choices. God, to hear your word saying, we can do this. So God, let your grace move powerfully. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.